podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You are very welcome along to the latest episode of the Stradicast. I'm Sean Connolly and today I am in the presence of greatness. We have a rare trio with myself and Dale O'Donnell joined by the enigmatic Brian Murphy. We're touching on a potential salary cap and the implications of any such measures. Vague horse is on fire and half the fan base is terrified. We'll be looking at the social exploits of our Dutch defender and diving into a run of fixtures, which includes a cup quarterfinal, a Manchester derby and a doubleheader in London, while not ignoring the membership system at United and its ever-changing face. That, your questions and much more on your Stradicast. So, given the amount of drama behind the scenes, it's often easy to forget that United actually play football. However, we're playing about as good as I can recall in recent years, and fresh off the back of a 3-1 FA Cup victory against Frank Lampard's Everton, Anthony up and running again, and Rashford just going from strength to strength. Dale, thoughts on the game, my man? Yeah, I think people, for starters, yeah, it's nice to be coming on another podcast and talking about wins, you know. We did it last season and it was it was tough to kind of sound upbeat. But just on this game as well, I suppose we went into the game knowing that Everton have been in shocking form lately, relegation threatening form. Um, so, you know, we went to the game confident that it was another one of those games that we played and we didn't particularly play exceptionally well. We were in control throughout. And it was also a case throughout the game that Everton were really parking the bus. You know, once Awobi got injured, Frank Lampard's immediate reaction was to bring on Decore. And you just know what he's going to do in midfield. You know, he's, he's basically a midfield terrorist. Um, and we scored a minute or two later. And he brought on a defensive player. So he shot himself in the foot. And all these things kind of went their way. But United kept plugging at Everton throughout the game. Um, of course, Marcus Rashford deserves another special mention on the last podcast. We were wax lyrical about him. Uh, and again, he, he's terrifying defenders. And it's not just the case like previously where Rashford would show a fine moment or two in a game. He's threatening for throughout the game, 90 minutes. He's a constant threat. Mm. And that's the big, big difference. And I think something Ten Hag spoke about before this game was kind of getting into the heads of Rashford and Martial and getting them to focus. And that was evident for Rashford against Everton. Less so for Martial, who I think um, is showing some worry in form because right now he has a chance to kind of lay a marker down, make the position his own. Ronaldo's gone. But it's gone back to, to the, the frustration. Frustrating Martial, if anything. Um, it's surprising, of course, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it is and it isn't because the form this season is definitely surprising because he showed in patches that... You know, when he's in the team, he's scoring goals or assisting. But now, now he's getting a run in the team. It's back to the Martial that we know, the inconsistent Martial that never really got going. And I, th- I think this season, Sean, is it's um he's either going to do it or it's time to call it a day. You know, if he's not going to do it this season, when is he going to do it? What about you, Brian? You fan of Tony Martial? Is he proving the critics wrong? No, he's not. Um... He, went, he was he was hit and miss for a long time. He went out on loan. His loan was by and large a disaster. He came back into a situation where he somehow managed to convince us all that he was a striker we needed again. More of a necessity than, than want, I think. Um, again, typical Tony Marshall. Shows flashes of brilliance. 
pops up for a little classy goal here and there, turns up for ten or fifteen minutes a game and sulks around the place for the rest of us when he's not when he's not in the form or he's not feeling it. It's like he just doesn't want to be there at times. Doesn't link up well, goes around with his shoulders hanging down, um, and generally pisses people off watching him. So I don't think he's the answer long term. No, I spoke with Dale maybe about a week ago about this, and you know there's been a sort of a pattern and a trend with Martial over the years that when he sort of gets a run as a nine, he gives us these moments where we think we've got something here, and then you've seen it through various things from Zlatan to Cavani to Ronaldo. You've got him firing his rat out of the pram almost because he's not. I suppose, front and centre, and he's not the main man. Now, we saw, like you said, in terms of preseason and in terms of the early season form when he wasn't injured, we saw a guy that gave us a bit of hope that, you know what, maybe he could do this. And then the second we start getting links with a new number nine and somebody coming in even on loan, I think it's a little bit too coincidental that the form dropped off the, the cliff after that. For a guy who who threw the tri- toys out in a pram over a short number and disappeared for about 12 months after it. It's not surprising that something so small would cause him to lose his focus and lose his um, drop his effort levels. He seems to be very, very temperamental. Um, I was going to say a confidence player, but that wouldn't be a fair a fair suggestion in this situation. It's more like he needs to be the focus of everything. Yeah, He needs to be the main man. If he's not, or he feels any way threatened whatsoever, he just loses all interest. Which is no good for us. I mean, we need, we need someone more, now more than ever. The fact that Ronaldo's gone, even though the end of his time, his second spell with us, wasn't as what we wasn't what we wanted, I suppose. But we need more than ever a focal point up front. We have, by and large, everything else when everyone's fit. The side is playing relatively well. Um, we're getting results that we wouldn't have got previously. Maybe we're just missing that lad in the middle who's going to bang in your 10, 12, 14, 15 league goals and a couple of cup goals here and there. And, just take the pressure off the boys around him. That's not Martial. Isn't it, I mean, I know you're talking about Martial, but just talk about the other influence around the team. Obviously, right now, defensively, we're all quite happy and it's like, it's like the attack is the kind of final part of the jigsaw. But I think what's, what's really benefited that defence, and it's not just the defenders in it, but it's Casemiro's presence and how we've been able to go from having a midfield of asking two players to, do, to carry out his job now we have one player who's better than those two players are carrying out that job. It's like having an extra player on the pitch now. It's only, I think it's only a matter of time, though, before our attack starts clicking. You know, it's, it's not going to all happen in, in that one half of a season where our defence and attack automatically or drastically improves. That's not going to happen. We've seen that with defence, and it's a building process. I think what we've seen up until this point, or when we're talking right now, is really, really encouraging. I think even the attacking players, look at Rashford, the output we're seeing now, nowhere near that last season. So slowly it's getting there. I just think maybe Martial, I mean, we're talking about his kind of his lapses when, when things don't go his way or we're being linked with different players. I'm starting to come to the conclusion now that if that's really a problem, let's give, let's give that problem to someone else. Well, that's it now. And and ultimately, we have this massive cry out and a yearning and a desire for a new number nine to come to the club. And with that, uh, the transfer market and the transfer speculation starts rolling over and over as it does every single year for United. Now, in recent days, it's looking increasingly like that man could be Volt Weghorst. He's not a name that many people had at the top of their list, but me personally, I can't help but feel like he might just fit this system extremely well and prove to be a very, very good short-term asset. And I think that's what we have to look at with a player like Veghorst. 
He's not someone who was top of people's lists. And ultimately, as you go through the years, he doesn't really look or shine or have the charisma or that sort of flamboyancy that you would normally associate with a man who's leading the line at Manchester United. But I think we're in a new era now where Ten Hag is all about a system and he's about building a systemic style of play at the football club. And for me, something I drew back on in the last couple of weeks, he seems exactly like the type of player that you would see Ten Hag sign with his Ajax side. It's, it's very similar to that Haller when he's after leaving West Ham after having a poor season. He goes and completely reinvents himself over in Holland and, and, and became this fantastic player before ultimately he, he had to stop with that tragic moment with that they came to him. But what are your thoughts on Veghorst? What do you think about him, Dale? Oh, I'm excited by this. I'm excited. Like, there's, there's few there's few names we've been linked with um, in recent months that I just think are just so perfect for United right now. You know, and it's a system. It's a system. Yeah, I, and I, what, what the point I wanted to make on this because I've seen a lot of people on social media um, with a more extreme view than the one you pointed out and kind of saying they didn't know who he was. Right? They're suggesting that. This is a player that's not of Manchester United's standard. We should be aiming for much more than this, whatever. And one of the things I laughed about was Glazernomics, right? I don't think this is a Glazernomics um, signing at all. I think the past few months, what you've seen with Eric Ten Hag is a man that has inc- is, is growing in power at that club and has, having a, has a massive influence over, over players, over contracts, which we'll, we'll get to in a while. Um, and the key word you said was system. Mm-hmm. Now, in pre- previous managers we've had when they've gone off and they've bought players is they weren't buying a player for a specific system. They were buying players, I, I don't know what way they were scouting because it wasn't good enough. Apparently, they scouted 800 right-backs and landed at Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Go fucking figure. Um, but, but, but when it comes to this, I think this is a player that Ten Hag wants. And I'm surprised by the amount of people that are kind of dismissing it. Because we've got a new manager and I think Everton's quite encouraging right now. The signs he brought in the summer. And look, if, if people are questioning it, fair enough. But um, I think those people will be proven wrong if, he's, if he becomes the Manchester United player for, for the end of the season. 100%. I think, he, I think he's exactly what we need. He would press like a dog. He offers that area presence that we don't have being six foot six. And, and the other thing as well, just to point out is with him being six foot six, he's not just your traditional centre forward or number nine. Um, he's very, very technical. His link-up play is second to none. So with the likes of Rashford, who is already in form, um, he'll just benefit. And who who could also benefit is Anthony to make use of that area of presence. Or Bruno Fernandes, who people have been kind of crit- critical of, saying he's not getting as many goal um, contributions. Well, sign a proper centre-forward, and those players might start getting more goals, goal contributions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean... Ultimately, you're, you're looking at a fella that put up extremely good figures over in uh, Germany. And I suppose the lasting image that a lot of people have is, I suppose, that underwhelming season that occurred in the Premier League with Burnley. But you're talking about 79 goal contributions in, in around 120 games over in Germany. What about you, Brian? Does he set you alight or do you have reservations? I'm just sitting back there for a minute listening to both of you justify us signing Burnley striker. And I'm smiling, thinking it's a funny old world, this football analysis, because taking it from a different perspective, you sit back and you see a fella linked to the club and you go, well, that's our club. We're being linked to him. He must be good. And you justify it. And you think about it and say, yeah, we're going to buy him because he fits a system. 
I'm not going to buy him because he's this and he's that. And, and maybe so. But I don't know. I just I don't know if I'm sold on the idea that a fellow who couldn't do it for Burnley, you now granted Burnley play puke football, but a fellow going from Burnley to Manchester United's number nine in the latter years, or at least not in his in his prime or coming through as a kid, it worries me in a sense. Do I believe in Erickson Hag's decision-making and system? 100%. No reason not to so far. Um, Vought Veghorst, does he excite me? Definitely not. I don't, think anyone, I don't think anyone would be overly excited by him. Would he do a job and do we need someone? Yes, we do. Is he possibly the right stopgap? He's not really the right stopgap. There's not many out there. The, the pond that we have to pick from is very, very sparse. We're getting names, a couple of names thrown out. Alvaro Morata, which I didn't want, even though he's probably a more fancy name striker. Um, Depay, is Depay the, the target man you want? Probably not. Joe Felix, Todd Bowley threw a few quid at him and he legged it down to fight out the mid-table season with Chelsea and that was the project that he wanted seemingly, which is absolute nonsense. Um, but again, Joe Felix isn't what we need. We need not a stereotypical six foot six target man, which Veghorst is, but something in that vein. Yes, we need a target man in some shape or form. Joe Felix isn't a target man. He's more he's more agile and more kind of flying around the place, getting involved. Um Veghorst is what I think is available out there at the moment that we can achieve, given the situation we're in both financially, other clubs making players available and how long we need them for. Do I think he's going to be outstanding and unbelievable? Probably not, no. Do I think he'll do a job? I'd hope so. But I'm more reserved than, than, than thinking that he's going to set the world on fire. If this was a footballer that had never touched down on Burnley Shores, and we're talking about the guy that was playing with Wolfsburg, with the, the figures that he's put up in Bundesliga to go alongside however many players have left Bundesliga, would you be as concerned about him coming in on a six-month stopgap in January to fit the manager system? Great question. Um, first and foremost, if he was a player that was just coming from Germany, from the Bundesliga, who had never played in England, there's a very good chance I wouldn't have a clue who he was. Fair. That's been br- brutally honest. I don't keep track of the Bundesliga. It's not a league that interests me or that I have any great interest in following. So I probably wouldn't have known who he was. The yeah. fact he did come to Burnley and I got a glimpse of him, which is pretty much what I know of him, is a glimpse, glimpse here and there and a glimpse here and there. Nothing major. I haven't delved deep into his... YouTube um, highlights or anything by any any, any heat maps? <laughs> uh, I've seen a heat map. Yeah, the heat map was a little bit. We move. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I don't know. Look, it's it's it's, it's almost an Igalo signing. Like it's a striker that he's not a big massive name. He's he'll do a job for you. He'll probably come in and score a few goals. He'll get us over the line. I'm a bit. I'm more pissed off with the fact that we're in this situation again for the fifth or sixth time when we keep making the same mistakes and we keep ending up in a situation where we need a striker for a bit to keep us going until the next striker comes in. But fuck, like, at least this guy isn't on crutches or fucking on the zipper frame. At least he's still on the right side of fucking of football career. Like, But it goes back yeah. to once again, our planning is so poor. Our, I know the Ronaldo curveball threw it all up, up in a heap, but then again, Ronaldo, was, he, was, he was running out of time as well, age-wise. As yeah. we can see, he's going to have to... Zimbabwe or somewhere playing football, but it's it's, 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 it's bad. 
Well, he, I think he said South Africa, even though I think he's in Saudi, but we'll let that one slide because Cristiano's obviously a really nice bloke and I'm a big fan. Um, it just, yeah, it annoys me that we're in this situation again. He's not a narcissist, by the way. He's not a narcissist. He's not, you know, he's not narcissistical by any means. Um, it annoys me that we're in the situation once again that I keep feeling for the last almost a decade now, we're two players short, we're two players short, we're a striker short, we're a right back short, we're always that one step away from being what we think we could be or what we should be. And once again, we're sitting back on, we're now about to bring in a striker who's not what we want next season or the season after or the season after that. We're bringing this guy in to put a band-aid over, over a cut for a couple of months. And it's annoying because a club of our stature should not be in that situation and we shouldn't be trying to penny-pinch a, a striker off someone, getting him to go from Besiktas to Burnley to come to us. I mean, it's a mess. It's a messy transfer as well. But just to counter that, because I agree with what, a lot of what you said, but I'm picturing this Weghorst coming to Manchester United, whatever happens in the next few months, but say there's a decent goal return. Um, it's not a bad plan B option to have as a cheap striker to sign in the summer. That Even if we do get the players that we're linked with, and I've seen a story today from ESPN, linked them as with Harry Kane as the main target for the summer, Victor Oshman. Um, and I, I'm not sure who the third player was. There was another one there as well as, as after escaping me. But um, but say like we're, we're going to need a, more than one goal scorer. And I think you're talking say 30 years old. He comes to Manchester United, the biggest club he's ever played at. Are you happy to play second fiddle next season? And I'm sure he will be. Yeah, and you have to look at it as well that I suppose the the players that we brought in in that striker position since 2017. They all fit a particular type of age demographic. You're starting off with Ibrahimovic, he was 34. Igalo was 30. Cavani, 33. Ronaldo, 36. If Fakehorse comes in for six months, he's 30. If it was indeed to be Harry Kane, as is being mentioned today, he will be 30 come next summer. So yeah, it's this point. particular demographic that's coming through time and time again. I would love it if we could turn around and we could sign what was we'll say a striker that was going to lead us for the next four or five years right now in the January transfer window. But ultimately, it never really comes to fruition at that point of the season, particularly after an awkward timing of a World Cup where there's extra games to be made up. But I suppose like anything... There there was an exception 12 months ago in one Julian Alvarez. Yes, yes. Well, Julian Alvarez would have been an absolutely tremendous signing. And I know... Brian particularly wasn't overly keen on the, the words and the workings of Ralph Raniak, but Mr. Raniak had recommended both Julian Alvarez and another Argentinian that has done pretty well at the World Cup yeah. for about 35 million total. <laughs> how, how much do Benfica want now? 120 million or so for him. Talk, talk about profit. You know what, this, what this leads back to as well in the global, in the global scale of football is this, it's something we spoke about before at Lint is the global shortage of strikers. Yeah, like there, there's there's nothing out there. That's not disregarding the couple of top strikers that there is out there. But like, again, go back to go back to Fergie's time. We had four strikers. We had four top strikers. Two yeah. on the bench, two playing, willing to play a second fiddle to each other, willing to pop in and pop out and rotate. We had four unbelievable strikers. We now don't have one. I it's wrote. very hard to see where you go. Like, I mean, Victor Osman, or I can't. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Osman. Is he? Oh, is he a Dwight York Andy Cole? Is he a top of the range world class footballer? Possibly, potentially, yeah, could be. Uh, Harry Kane, Harry Kane's ankles are made of shredded wheat. He's getting on in his age. His his injuries have har- hind- uh, hindered him quite a bit. They're not going to get any better. 
we're probably two or three years late signing him, if I'm honest. Would I take him? Of course I would, Jesus. I'd be idiotic not to take Harry Kane tomorrow morning. But it's, a, it's another mistake. We should have signed him if we wanted to get him a couple of years back. We probably weren't in the position to offer him what he wanted back then. Um, Striker-wise, it's a very, very, very tough issue to solve, which has led to us being in a position where we are going after Vogt Weghorst for six months. Well, I'm going to the Weghorst party. You can all fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to take us on nicely to another Dutchman. And I think one of the surprising talking points from that Everton game was a a Malasia tackle on Iwobi and an Instagram post thereafter. The challenge was an exceptionally good challenge. And unfortunately, Iwobi turned his ankle, looked a bit nasty. But there appears to be a bit of backlash now following that Instagram post from Malasia. Brian, is it a bit too easy to offend a football fan in 2023? A guy made a great suggestion today on on a post I was posting on that we're now in a world where people are offended there's no vegan option in McDonald's. <laughs> that would probably encapsulate, yes. It is so easy to offend people. The entire planet is eternally looking for something to be offended by. Politically correctness has gone OTT. You can't pretty much say anything without someone finding some way of getting insulted by it. Tyrell Molassia's tackle was absolutely fantastic. He could have accidentally snapped Wobi in half, he didn't. The outrage is a bit much. It will be ankle turned. It happens. It was an accident. And he might have made the slightly misguided decision or his representatives, whoever's in charge of his Instagram account, of posting said tackle on Instagram, lauding the fact that he did almost snap. It will be in half. <laughs> now, do I have any problem with that? Absolutely not. If he snapped him in half and, and finished him for the season, it wouldn't bother me. It's Frank Lampard's ever. Do I really care? No. Hackless as it may sound. The outrage of people going, oh my God, oh my God, look what he put on Instagram. The tug scumbag. How dare he? Lads, he's a kid who after to, to put in a top class tackle for Manchester United Football Club. I'd be hanging a picture of it up over my mantelpiece for the rest of my life. Yeah. Grow up a small bit like, and get over it. His eternal need to be insulted or offended is just gone to the dogs. It's and what were they suggesting that they should do with him? You know, if they're so um, outraged, what's, 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 what's the punishment line? What, what, what does he deserve? Well, well, one guy decided that he should apologise to Nigeria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, I this is on a post you see on social media, no, no, on the Facebook page. Is, yeah, it, it, it was in the Stretty, Stretty, um, Stretty News Facebook group, which is a fantastic source of all types of educational comments at the best of times. Yeah, this guy was absolutely and utterly horrified by the post. Felt that the guy needed to, um, that Tyrion Malesia needed to issue an apology to Nigeria for trying to kill Alex Awobi. And um, <laughs> I, I, I may or may not have sarcastically reposted back to him saying that Malesia is a tug and this type of disgusting behaviour is not becoming of Manchester United Football Club. To which 87% of the people that commented back do you want me to go fuck myself? <laughs> and that Roy Keane would be ashamed of me. <laughs> so, su- successful banter there, but yeah, um, it's, all, it's all much to do about nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a non-story, really, but it quite amused me for the day. But, the, but, but this is the thing, though. I think too many people, they're sat on social media the whole time, and they're waiting for news to burst, and it's almost, let's, in a race, see who can be more outraged by this story. And whoever's more outraged gets more likes, 
gets more interactions, gets more retweets. And the problem is sometimes when this happens with certain videos on YouTube, um, we all, all the clubs have a certain fan channel or fan, whatever it's called, um, that goes viral whenever big things happen. Liverpool would have one. We have one, unfortunately. And it's just people saying ridiculous things to um, for, for publicity. No, yes. how, how, how can someone seriously be fucking outraged by a tackle at the weekend and suggest that that player should go and, and, and apologise to his country for that tackle? No, like, can I just put on record before you before you delve into any more of this? I'm a massive fan of fan channels. They should be <laughs> upped, upped, risen and celebrated. The fact that we have numerous at Manchester United makes me so proud. And I'm very much behind the many facets of our fan channels that are existing out there who are um, very quick to start agendas on certain players. Well, you and deserve credit for embracing the culture. I, I embrace them, yeah. I love the agendas and the disgusting narratives they put out there about our players, which, funnily enough, has led to two of them being in, at Carrington today intervie- interviewing Diogo Dello. We've made that decision at Manchester United should fill their bag, empty their desk and fuck off. I didn't see who was at Carrington. I seen one. Um... Borden. It was scandalous. It's scandalous. I a shining like endorsement. A shining endorsement yeah. from the absolute pinnacle of fan cam <laughs> personification here in Mr. Brian Murphy. But I think, look, it, it is very easy to get offended by these things. And it's very easy for people to, to try to start shining a light through notoriety and trying to gain a following with such. I think there's one thing has actually gone by here on a serious note from the whole Malasia thing. Everybody is speaking about why Luke Shaw is playing at a left centre-back in a centre-back pairing. And it's, it's all about the fact that Harry Maguire is not good enough to come in, etc., etc. Martinez is not fit. People are forgetting that Lindelof is there and could very easily do so. A, a big part of why Luke Shaw is lining out at a left centre-back is because Malasia is playing so well. And the manager has even spoken about how happy he is about Malasia lining out at left back at the moment in time. So I think that's after sliding by an awful lot of people based on the fact that this photograph has come out. Because Malasia has been playing exceptionally well for several weeks now. But that's exactly like you just made an absolutely perfect point. This one single slightly wrong Instagram post, if you want to be offended by it, takes all the shine off of his performance, takes all the shine off his good work. Mm. It takes the story away from being... Tyrrell Molassia's performances recently from Manchester United have been fantastic to Tyrrell Molassia post inappropriate Instagram post. I mean, what what news does a fan actually want to get or what what content do you want to be reading? You yeah. want to read or listen to content based on football facts and performances and ratings and that kind of stuff. Nobody cares in the real world about these Instagram posts. It's this is what this is exactly the point we're trying to say. Like this this negativity and this eternal longing for finding something to whinge about against our players takes away from the good work they're doing. And you can be sure, like, the, they're, they're human beings. Like, these boys, these footballers that are playing for Manchester United, they know what's going on on social media. They, they're not going to be so uninterested that they don't have a little quick peek and see what people said about it. And the top things that will pop up will be the most popular posts and tweets and comments, which are, more by, by and large, they're negative. They'll take the opportunity to get their clickbait from negativity. That's going to have a mental effect on players. I mean... I'm, I'm fairly thick-skinned. It has done. It has, done. It has, of course, it has. And as a person myself, I'm fairly thick-skinned to a point, but I would absolutely hate to be in a player's position playing for Manchester United under the scrutiny of the world and be getting absolutely battered 
by hundreds and thousands of people on social media constantly and having to see that said about me, my family reading. I mean, it's... I know we're all guilty of the times. We all have opinions that we think a player's playing badly or a player should maybe move yeah. on from, to a different club and whatnot. But there's a level. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a step too far and that happens all too often. I'm sure it happens with every club, but it happens so toxically with our club. It's, it's disgusting at times. You only have to look as far as Jed and Sancho to see what exactly yeah. can come from this because if anybody can remotely believe what is going on is not psychologically orientated with him, particularly after what happened at the Euros with England, then I don't know what to say. Of course, 100%. And like even, even to a lesser extent, the likes of Marcus Rashford, who played so poorly last season, who dropped off the, off the map, was he not influenced by certain outside aspects causing situational problems for him in his head and, and creating issues that are taking his focus off football? And now he's back on the surface. Obviously, we don't know the ins and outs, but on the surface, it looks like he's back totally focused on his football and he's absolutely tearing teams apart I mean has he got seven goals in seven games and six assists or something to that effect I, that's, I, that's I think this far the best I've ever seen from him it is the best it's without doubt it's the best he's ever been and if he can if he can maintain something of this type of form for a full season I mean obviously the players are going to have a dip here and there but if he can give us 70% of a season at that form he'll be, he'll be one of the best players in the world for the next few years which, is, which I can't believe I'm saying because 12 months ago I thought, what has happened? Like, I thought this guy was unbelievable and he's, he's fallen apart. On that, test, two, test two players have said it now. Casemiro and, and Lissandra Martinez have both come out in interviews saying that they reckon he's among the best in the world. Game recognises game, I suppose. And that's a, fair, that's a fair credit you get from guys that... Martinez, like, he's had to win in the World Cup, fair enough. He might not have the, the status in the game that Casemiro has. But Casemiro has and should have and should command the respect of any football fan for any club in the world and for him to make a statement like that says an awful lot about the guy so I mean you've got to take your hat off to Marcus Rashford for for going through the season that he did and having the, the major dip he had and probably his own issues in, in the background to have the mental strength to come back at a club like Manchester United where you are so scrutinised keep the head down I mean you didn't see him doing any interviews like Dean Henderson and throwing the, throwing the ties out of the pram or Ronaldo and his, his best body peers or that kind of crack he just put the head down, he kept going, and he, he's back. And Jesus, we're paying dividends by it. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable to watch. Absolutely are. And everybody here at Australia Cast has been an advocate for uh, the obvious talents that Rashford has for quite some time. So it's very nice to be able to cock the chest out in support of what's going on at the moment and not jumping on the bandwagon. Now, moving away from Everton and to the news that due to unprecedented demand, official membership has sold out for the very first time which is now going to lead to a new innovation of a forwarding membership. Now, Brian, the ever-changing phase of club membership is something that frustrates far and wide, and I know you're not overly fond of it yourself. No, I'm, it's something that's been on my mind the last while, and over the last couple of years, it's been changing quite a lot. If you take it back to... Go back a couple of years back. I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head when this membership crap started coming in. But when you had a season ticket card, a physical card, over the years and throughout history, people had, we'll say your parents had a season ticket card at Manchester United. So you've got two seats. Mom and dad have your seats or your dad and your uncle or whoever. And you've always been able to share these. I mean, you've been able to give them to your son for a game or your, your, your uncle or your cousin or whatever, or even just your mates. I can't make a game. Here you go. You can head off to it. Fine, that worked out great for years and years on end. Then 
the United started to see that there was potential to make money off this kind of crack, and they said we'll bring in the membership system. Again, I'm not overly against a membership system itself in 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 the idea of it, but it's how they've changed it, and they've continually it's fairly obvious to see they've continually spotted gaps or loopholes that they close off. So originally we had a membership, you became a member, and it was one single solid membership. There was no option, it was just a membership. As of next season, currently, before they announced the reform, we have a forwarding membership for £15, a light membership for £25, a full membership, which I think is £40, £45 off the top of my head, and the PS de la Resistance, the premium membership, which is 70 or 80 quid ish which is, again, it's a membership to the club. It's not a season ticket, it's not a ticket, it's a membership. This, when the digital ticketing came in, it was dangerous for fans because what it did is it provided that data for Manchester United to look at. And they've been very, very clearly looking at it because they've spotted, they've spotted one thing in particular is how many tickets per game is be, are being transferred. So obviously season ticket holders can transfer a ticket to another membership. But they've seen how, just how often it's happening. They've also <laughs> been able to see, based on the scanning in of digital season tickets and digital membership tickets, how many tickets go unused per game. And they have a B in their bonnet. And they're right, in, in one sense they're right. They have a B in their bonnet about how many t- seats are unused when the demand for tickets at Old Trafford is absolutely off the scale. So in their wisdom, they've picked 330,000, which is a very random number to people who might not be aware. But 330,000 memberships was the cutoff. That's when they stopped official membership for the first time ever this season. 330,000 is particularly important because it sets the world record for any club of having a membership system for the most memberships. So once they got their little tick and ticked the box of being world record holders, they said, okay, that's enough. Now we're going to play the game and we're going to state that we're closing membership off because it's unfair on members trying to obtain tickets from Manchester United's website through the ballot system or through general sales. It wasn't unfair when it was 100,000 or 200,000 or 300,000. It only became unfair at 330,000. That's an important note. So then when they started announcing these, these closure of memberships, everyone wondered, well, what happens next? What happens if you want to go to a football match at Old Trafford but you don't have a membership? I'll tell you what happens. You give United 15 quid and they'll give you what's called a forwarding membership which entitles you to nothing. You're not entitled to buy tickets. You're not entitled to, to enter ballots. You're not entitled to discounts off this online megastore. You're literally entitled to receive a ticket from a season ticket holder for the handsome price of £15. Something you could do Throughout the ages, by handing someone your card, they're now charging you £15 for. It absolutely disgusts me. Now, if they're trying to justify it by saying it can prove who's there on the day or it can prove that the person that's going is the person that's going because it's linked to a bank account and that, you can do that by charging one penny. As, equally as much as doing £15, one penny achieves the same thing. So I don't believe that nonsense. The light membership changes to £20 throughout the season and they're now charging 75% of a light membership just to receive a ticket from somebody. It's, it offends me in so many ways that they're trying to maximise how much they can extract from the fan base by coming up with new ways of doing it. Was there any consultation with fan groups when, 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 when they were doing this? 
this came None. left wing. It came left wing completely. I mean, I run I run a supporters club, an official branch supporters club. Um, I saw no correspondence about it. I saw no discussion about it. I've not, as far as I know, I didn't see anything about it in the fans forum or the fans advisory board. I can't see who made the decision or how the decision was made. But I just don't get it. I mean, fair enough, if they wanted to charge a fiver, a token payment for someone receiving a ticket off someone for the rest of the season. Now, they've given a year and a half. They've made it that this, anyone who buys it this season gets next season as well. Thanks so much, Manchester United, for that. But <laughs> if they made it a fiver, you'd, you'd stomach it. It's the price of a pint. And you'd say, okay, it's to- it's, a, it's a fiver. It's a token, token, yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it covers everything. But 15 quid. Like, this could be a family of four. A mom and dad and two kids who are going to their one game a season in April, for the sake of argument. Doesn't make any sense, yeah. It makes. It, You're going yeah. to flog another 30, another 40, 50, 60 quid onto them in, in a cost of living crisis and in, in a global economy where it. people are struggling? It's funny you say that because I met a friend of mine yesterday for a coffee. hadn't seen him in a while. Big United fan as well. Asking me about the, uh, the prospect of going over in a couple of months and taking his father, his brother and his younger brother with him had no idea of the new membership structure. And when I explained this forwarding nonsense, he said exactly as you said. He said, so to even entertain the idea of being able to do this, I'm forking out 60 quid. And I said, yeah. Yeah. That's, with, that's without the guarantee of having a ticket. Yeah. So, like, it, it, just, it just feels such penny-pinching and maximum extraction of funds from fans when they know they'll get it and they know they can get it. I mean, the timing, like, read the room. The entire of the UK at the moment is up in arms. And I'm sure they're entire of the entire of the world probably, but the UK in particular is absolutely up and down about a cost of living crisis. Can you afford to heat or eat? These are the types of things we're reading, we're seeing from the economy, and they release a nonsensical fifteen pound charge oh, to receive ticket. a ticket for, for for a ticket that's already paid for. I mean, if you think about it logistically, this season ticket is paid for in full last year. Now to use the ticket that someone has already paid for, you're going to pay us fifteen pound for the pleasure of it. Yeah. it it's just so so poor it's so poor from the club i don't like it i don't get it i hope they'll think about it and, and restructure it but no it's it's just another move that i find offensive to the fans i mean what, whatever happened to the working men's game i know it's long gone but this is another slap in the face to people that modern football has become about digital data who's going to the game and how many people can we take money off of to maximize match their revenue it just falls and in what, with the the constant trend that there is such a catalogue of wealthy individuals that are so out of touch mm-hmm. with, yeah. with, the, with, with the working man, with the individuals mm-hmm. that work so hard and they dedicate their, their time to going out and crafting just a living. And it's just a living. And the only bit of gratitude that they might have is a couple of pints at the weekend to go and watch the football. And now to be able to do that, we're going we're go, we're to charge you for, before you even get even thinking about it. It's just... <laughs> individuals who are out of touch and it really is when you think the level of greed that has been at the club for over a decade now when you think that they can't get any worse they just continue to find ways of shocking yeah it's 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 really really it's a nasty charge i think and it'll it'll probably mean certain families and certain groups who've been going for years or even previous to COVID who might not even have been since COVID because look let's be honest COVID rattled the whole football going thing for a lot of people yeah. Um, a lot of us got back to it straight away but some people haven't been since COVID and getting tickets for Manchester United games can be an extremely difficult prospect if you don't have if you don't know somebody or you don't have contacts or mates who have season tickets or whatever if you're just if you don't know Brian you're fucked 
If you're just your run-of-the-mill person who's not, not really in that circle and you're trying to get tickets, I mean, look at the expense that it's pushing on you. It's, it becomes more and more expensive. Who's to say it's not going to price somebody? It might only be another 50 or 60 quid, but that could be the difference between going or not going. I mean, you're pricing people out of football constantly. I said at the very, very start, I said at the very start of this conversation that we're having that with the amount of drama that goes on behind the scenes, that it's often easy to forget that United play football. And it really, really, really keeps on it. And and what I want to touch on next just further adds to it about news of the apparent Ronaldo rule, which has surfaced in recent days. And and I suppose a, a reported desire of Eric Ten Hag to avoid a cultural dressing room jealousy at the club. It seemingly is going to begin with David De Gea and his £375,000 contract, which is set to expire in the summer. Now, news is out there that he's been given a take-it-or-leave-it deal with new financial constraints. And from the offset, what do you make of all of this, Dale? Um, A few problems with the article. I think the biggest problem that I'm going to start with is the word jealousy in the dressing room, like jealousy. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem that maybe whoever briefed this on behalf of Manchester United didn't want to face up to is that they've overpaid on mediocrity for several years. That's the problem. The problem is you look at how much Phil Jones has been getting in recent years. You look at how much several other players that don't play week in, week out get at Manchester United. That's the problem. They need to fix that. And whoever breathed, it didn't want to say it, but we literally, what he meant to say was we need to fix the problems that have been created by Ed Woodward and his, um, the kind of policy that he ran and how he wanted to hang his coat on big signings and he gave him ridiculous wages in order to do so. The other thing about this is there's talk about the salaries being cut to 200,000 per week. Right. And that's all well and good. But Manchester United could be a few months away from new owners, right? Total new owners. We don't even know who these guys are. We have no idea how much their wealth is. We get people in with a ridiculous amount of money. The wage thing is all the bollocks. All the crap. So, so are we going to are we going to set something up and do all this body work and start telling players, "Here's your new contract. We're setting we're setting this thing now, set in stone." But we could have new owners in five months' time. Then why would the players then sign it? Why would we, we'll wait? We'll wait for five months. Wait for the new owners to come in. It just seems like crap. It seems like they're stuck for things to write about at the moment. Even some of the dimensions of how much players are currently earning at the club in the article didn't really add up either. It was well reported at the time of the transfer that Casemiro was on far more money per week at Manchester United than what he was earning at Real Madrid. But this article wants to tell you that he's on less than 200,000 a week. Doesn't that up? You, know, all, like, you have to look through some of these articles with a fine comb. But yes, Manchester United need to sort out their wage structure 100%. That's been one of the biggest problems that I've identified in in recent years because how can you justify several things? I know a lot of people like David De Gea, but David De Gea is the highest-paid goalkeeper in the world right now. There's no one out there that can justify that. I'm sorry. Um, You look, again, Phil Jones, how much is he on? He's over 140,000 a week. When did he ask him to run the team? Years. You know, so these are things that are are very, very, that need to be fixed. I think Ten Hag... We finally have a manager who will try and address it. But you think the Glazers are, are setting up um, stalls to, to change the way the club has been run for the last 17 years? They're not. They're setting up to sell. 
Brian, your thoughts yeah. on it? Yeah, you make you make some very good points, Dale, and I think you hit one of the things in the head. This this thing from that the Glazers are all of a sudden being pedantic about how much players are being paid. This is like if it's coming from the Glazers, seemingly who are current owners, unfortunately. It doesn't sit right with me because why, as they're after announcing a sale, are they messing with wage caps? It doesn't. It doesn't. One plus one doesn't equal two in this. The only way it would possibly make sense if it is indeed 100% going to happen, is that the new owners have started to give a little bit of direction of what's going on. Exactly. Which, fair enough. That might make sense. But if the Glazers who are announcing this crack or the club are announcing this, if that was going to happen, it should have happened years ago. I mean, retrospectively thinking back on it, you're saying it's not jealousy. I'd, I'd probably counter that with a, a more human version of it. If I'm sitting inside in the dressing room and I'm looking at David De Gea, getting 375k a week mm. and I'm Marcus Rashford and I'm scoring goals and I'm the golden boy and I'm front page of the paper, back page of the paper and I'm on 150 because I'm a kid, right? But I'm scoring, I'm the one, I'm the main man, I'm scoring goals. You've every right and every reason in any type of work environment. Someone's getting paid over double your wages and you're doing every bit as much as they are and bringing as much success to the company or to the club or whatever it may be. You're totally justified to walk into your manager's office and say, excuse me a second, He's on double what I'm on. I'm doing the same, if not more. I want that. He, he, he's not wrong. Us as, football, us as football fans might not like the fact that he wants 300,000 a week, but he's not wrong. If the other person can have it, why can't I have it? So of course you can. You have to. And that's what, that's what led us down the garden path. The, the De Gea, David De Gea's contract caused us more issues than anyone will ever care to admit because that set off a chain reaction around the dressing room of I want more money, I want more money, I want more money. We ended up with Phil Jones, who, as you said, he's not registered. Is he not? He's not registered in the Premier League. I'm pretty sure. He's not registered in the Champions League as a player from Manchester United. He's on over a hundred thousand pounds a week. Now, there's there's different conspiracy theories going on about what's happening with him and potentially mental health issues or, or health issues. I don't know. So it'd be unfair for me to slate the man by any means, but. As a football no, player, but, no, but I, I, want, I want to make a point before you go on. You just said that you're not slating them. You're slating. No. You're you're slating this this whole structure and and the, the problem. Talks, like, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't again. I don't, I don't want to say Phil Jones is the problem. Where we should no, no, you're, you're not. You're not no, no, you're there's not. a number it, of players. Just, yeah, it's an example. Like Phil Jones is one example of a player who, in particular, has not been seen on the football field yeah. for God knows how long. Who's on massive money. Like we were doing the same thing with players for the last 10 years where we were firing out massive contract renewals to players who most of us expected to leave. What and happened to the one-year thing we used to do under Ferguson? Remember the one yeah, year when, it, when players got like Rio would get 30, become 30 or 31, Carrick yeah. or whatever, and they get a one-year contract, see how the season will go, New Year. And yeah, you we, see we, had, we had a bit of... We had, a, we had a bit of a vision or a bit of a viewpoint yeah. of realism that these guys are possibly coming to the end of their, conversation, yeah. their, their contracts. There's two words. You're asking what happened. Aid Woodward. 100%, yeah, yeah 100%. But that's, I, that's what happened. How many players over the years have the three of us, and we probably agree on most players most of the time if we sat back and thought about it, how many players have you expected to either leave or be given a much reduced contract with a viewpoint of them leaving in the next one, two, three years? And next thing the club put out a fancy social media post that they've got a fucking parent. And you're looking at it going, what in the name of God are we doing? Because we, we managed to accumulate a body of players that were far below the level we required, 
who were drastically overpaid. We couldn't offload them because nobody in the world is going to pay Jesse Lingard 200,000 or Ashley Young 150,000 or not, not picking out Jesse Lingard for anything bar just a name. But you know what I mean? These players who weren't making it at United who were on the verge of leaving. It's very hard to sell someone who's on massive money with a long-term contract, which we have paid the price for for years and years and years. This new salary cap, sorry to get back to your question, Sean, the salary cap, do I think it's a good idea? Yes and no. Um, in an ideal world, in a fanciful world, yes, it's fantastic, it's brilliant. It's how it needs to be done. It works in certain sports globally where it's been set in stone for years and it's been that way all along. But I think for us, the level that we're at, the stature they're at, and the player, the calibre of player we'll be going for in the future, if things come back to what we're hoping it comes back to, you can't go to Kylian Mbappe who's, I know he's probably the biggest name in the world right now as a price-wise and whatnot. You can't walk up to Kylian Mbappe and say, Kylian, come play for us. Look at the crest on the front. Put the name on the back, buddy. You're one of us and we'll give you 200 grand a week. The one thing that I'll say is it's very, very difficult to comprehend this being real, all right, because it, it, it comes across a little bit fishy. But the one thing you touched upon a couple of moments ago when you were speaking <clears throat> is if it is indeed future owners getting their tuppence in, before actually something comes to fruition. When you speak about somebody like Kylian Mbappe and then try to entice a player of that magnitude to the club, you naturally think as a supporter, okay, well, we have to offer this fella four or 500,000 pound a week because that's ultimately what's going to bring him in. Now, when I look at this salary and I try to, to look at it pragmatically and make sense of it, I think if you're talking about a salary cap and saying that the max that you're looking at is about 200,000, there's no reasoning as to why someone using Mbappe as an example couldn't get up to four four hundred and fifty thousand a week to performance related add-ons and I think if you're looking at it solely in in the context of salary it's very easy to say that this is what your salary is now we're going to give you x amount more money but in order to be able to get that you have to achieve x y and z which are more than capable they're they're, they're within the realms of what you're doing and ultimately it's what we're bringing you to the football club to be able to do we're bringing you to the club to be able to contribute goals and assists. If you do that, you will get your salary. If you don't, you're not completing the task that you've been brought to the club to do. Therefore, you're not going to get paid what we've said to you. Which, if I'm led to believe correctly, is what Erling Haaland is doing at Man City. Is that not right? Mm-hmm. His base salary is nowhere near what he's actually earning. Correct. I think his but base he... salary is something about like 33 to 37%. That, ex- that explains yeah. why he's scoring every week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and but you know what? Sean's actually after hitting something on the head there. You're challenging a player. Now, not every player is going to accept that because not yeah. every player wants to come in and have to prove themselves. They want the cushy contract like most players come to United to get in the last 10 years. But if you're enticing someone to come in, it may work. Let's go back to hypotheticals again. Kylian Mbappe might go, yeah, that's no problem. I'm going to score 50 goals a season and I'm going to make a million a week. But it also may be a case of Kylian Mbappe saying, Todd Bowley's after offering me 500 grand a week and if I score or don't score I'm taking that back home to my bank so yeah, I'm not a Man United fan I'm from Paris or wherever he's from in France I don't really give a shit what you're offering me he's given me guaranteed half a million I'm gone there it would be it would fix a lot of the issues that we have regarding contracts renewals typically jealousy as we called it earlier it would definitely fix a lot of that what concerns me about it is if the new owners and again we're talking hypothetical if the new owners are the ones who are leading the way in this, what type of new owners are we getting? If this is their first act as, as incoming owners, mm-hmm. is to close well, down the transfer well, market for us. Well, 
just playing devil's advocate on that, if it is someone with billions beyond billions beyond billions, this could be a gesture to tell clubs that we're not going to be played by you in the transfer market and we're setting down a stall and this is our model and this is it. Because the, 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 the thing about the likes of Newcastle that they're going to experience in recent years is that they don't want to be taken advantage of. Uh, and they've seen they've seen this happen with clubs like City in the past. City had to play more money to get players in than the next YZ because they weren't anywhere near attractive. They weren't winning league titles. They weren't winning anything. They had to do that. Newcastle would probably fall down the same thing. But I, I wouldn't be surprised that whoever does come in... <laughs> look, look, the other side of it, no, I'm talking shit. Whoever comes in to buy Manchester United, right, they're going to have endless money. If they, if they can afford this deal, they're going to have endless money. I don't think they're going to be worried about wages. There may, but, but you see, the way I'm looking at it, and maybe I'm trying to be a bit, maybe I'm being deluded with this, okay? But if you do have a situation with potential investors coming in, potential new owners, you'd like to think that Eric Ten Hag is at the forefront of what they're thinking. Because ultimately, he's the man who's going to be steering the, the players on the pitch. And ultimately, the better we do on the pitch, the better the club can, can obviously succeed commercially. What about if their idea behind this is not so much aimed at the clubs we're going to be doing transfer business with and they're not sitting down a stall that we're not going to be ripped off for transfer fees? What if they're more aiming this wage cap structure and this kind of line in the sand at football agents who've been taking the piss out of us for years and years because we've been seen as a soft touch financially for incoming players and for football agents to extract the most they can for their for their for their player, which is obviously their role, but we seem to be the gravy train option. So, well, no, that that will be more what, along the lines again of what you're saying about changing from the Ed Woodward um, policy of basically, mm-hmm. if you looked at many of our transfer windows in the last ten or so years, there was one window in which we signed three players from Yorgi Mendes, right? Three of his clients. You can imagine all the sign-on deals and the backhanders that were happening there with that deal. And I think what Manchester United learned throughout that period is there's no point jumping into bed with these agents because they backstab you. They don't, give, they don't care about the club. They only care about those few moments when they're signing the contract and they're getting that sign-on fee. It's all they care about. I think you could, be, you, could, you, could, you could be right about maybe trying to tackle that. The other thing that I'm a little bit worried about is I don't know who these owners are yet. Um, and when it comes to what you said, Sean, about Ten Hag having, I suppose, kind of having power over transfers and whatever, I really hope that remains the case. I don't see any reason why it won't. But when new owners buy football clubs, they tend to make changes. It might not be Ten Hag, but they, they tend to want to put their own stamp on the football club. And I think whoever does this, you're talking so much money, but I really hope that that's one area they don't touch and they, they let that man do his job because uh, I, I'm right on board with what he's doing at United. The, um, yeah, you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there about new owners coming in and we're seeing that right in front of our face at the moment. Look at Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea through Abramovich were a certain animal. They were a certain type of prospect. They fired a manager if he lost, if he lost four games in a row, he's out the window. They've come in and their transfer structure or who they bought and they had a clear plan. Through the years, they've, they've obviously made some silly signings through the years like every club does, but by and large, they bought well. They had some top players. We've now seen Todd Bowley come into his role and he'd almost sign a kid doing keepy-uppies on the side of the street if he thought he was worth signing. He's jumping on every transfer that we've seen. I mean, Joe Felix, 
by all accounts, is going to sign for them. What he sacked do Tuchel. Felix... Don't forget he sacked Tuchel. He sacked Tuchel, which was everyone, including myself, jaw dropped to the floor. But then you're seeing these transfers. It's like every day we're seeing a new transfer that they're linked to it or they've just come in and done. Where does Joe Felix fit into the Chelsea football team right now this minute? I don't, I don't get the, the idea. It's like he's just trying to throw mud at something and hope it sticks. I'd, I would be absolutely devastated if after all these years of trying to get these owners out of the club, we don't know what's coming. The grass may not be greener on the other side. God forbid that happens that it's an absolute clusterfuck of a disaster. But if they come in, and you're right in what you're saying, anyone who comes in, I'd be the same. If I'm the guy who has seven or ten billion or whatever it is, mm. if I buy that football club, it's my football club. I don't yeah. care what you did before. It's my club. I paid the money, and I will do what I want. That scares me. It really does. It's just because something I thought about because we don't know who these guys are yet. We don't know who's in the picture. And I think all in our minds, we're kind of all thinking, right, they've got a bottomless pit of money. They're obviously going to do this. They're obviously going to do that. But the, the cynic in me is kind of looking at it and thinking, right, whoever's exchanging this, whoever's transferring this kind of level of money, um, they're going to want to put their stamp on it, you know. And I just hope and fingers crossed that they, they don't touch Ten Hag. Because I see, I see good things with him. Look, just to clarify what I sorry, John, just to clarify what I, what I said about the grass being greener. I don't mean by any stretch of the imagination. I prefer to keep the glazers. Don't don't get me wrong on that one. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah, just, yeah, I'm just saying that what's coming next could potentially be worse. It is a possibility. Of course, it's a possibility. But you you, you can look at it in two different ways. Okay, we're going to get new owners, hopefully that are footballing people and can understand that Eric Ten Hag is the best thing that they could have there. Or we're going to get new owners that do not care about the footballing perspective and just want to look at a commercial aspect. And as you said, Dale, will look to get their own mark on it and to bring in somebody. I would like to err on the side of optimism and that whoever is going to come in is just going to understand that Ten Hag is doing a sensational job, leave him there, and allow him to back his principles. But one thing I'd like to say about this entire rule and this entire salary cap, let's imagine a situation whereby these new owners, prospectively, are already sort of getting their tuppence in the, in, in, in the background. Eric Tan Hag is quite clearly a manager that wants a particular profile of player at this football club. We look back a couple of years, we brought in the likes of Alexis Sanchez, you know, a player that had no interest in playing for this football club and just came for money. And ultimately, if we can get into a situation whereby we have to convince footballers like your Kylian Mbappe, etc., that we will pay you a bucket ton of money to play for this football club. That's not the player profile we want. And I, but I don't know Ten Hag, but I'm pretty sure it's not the player profile that Eric Ten Hag wants at the club. So if we have a situation whereby you can get a player at this football club and tell them, We'll pay anywhere from 150 to 200,000 euro guaranteed in your salary. And if you achieve X, Y, and Z as per the role that we're bringing to this football club for you can earn more, that should be more than enough for them. And if it's not, fuck off and sign for somebody else. It's as simple and as complicated as that. It's a good middle ground. It goes to the bonus thing you were saying, Sean, about that being a cutoff and then being able to make more money from bonuses. Because I was only speaking to someone over the weekend, another big United fan, um, who has an interest in NFL. And he was explaining how the contracts are done there and how, how players could say they might get 30, 40% guaranteed of that contract, right? And they have to show that they're fit or whatever. And if there's a period then that they get injured and they're out for a long time, 
that contract is just end finished and they get that guaranteed sum. They don't get the full amount. So like it's hard for football to adopt that exact model. But that could be a middle ground is what you're saying there. Because I think as well as United have United like have a bit of sense of arrogance about them in the transfer market. And I think we should. I think we should. When when we go to a player, we have a model like that set up. And you go to the player and he puts his nose up at it. United should be big enough to be able to turn around and say, fine. Fuck Absolutely. You. United don't should be. be. Don't, 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 don't be part of this project then. Don't be part of look what we're doing with Ten Hag. Don't be part of it. Fine. We'll find someone else. Because if you're bending over backwards for people like that that don't want to be there, well, then we're going to stay in this mess, aren't we? 100% we are. 100% we are. Now, obviously, what we've done here is spoke for quite some time and the vast majority of it is not about football. We do have football coming up tomorrow night and we have plenty of football over the next couple of weeks to look forward to, particularly with tomorrow evening in a quarterfinal of a League Cup and a real prospect of a semi-final to look forward to. Uh, we have to touch some bit on it because long gone are the days when we turn our nose up at that one. Yeah, I was only speaking to someone before the game against Everton, which was in the FA Cup, and we were just looking at the two games back-to-back and how Ten Hag would, would approach it. I was quite surprised. A lot of people were, were saying to me that they, they thought he should prioritise a stronger team against Charlton because it was the quarterfinal of the Cup you know, more of a chance of winning that. And I was of the opinion, I think I said it to you, Sean, too, that Ten Hag, I think shown in the Europa League at times this season, the group stage, that he wants to win every game. Um, It doesn't matter if it's the League Cup, if it's the FA Cup, he put out the strongest team he can. And I wasn't surprised to see that against Everton and against Charlton in the the quarterfinals. I think it will be a pretty strong side. I think it will be stronger than what a lot of people are expecting. The one thing I suppose you could say in counter to that is obviously football is a game built on squads. Success is, is built on squads. You know, you're not going to win titles with 11 players. You need 24 players, you know, in around that figure to be able to do so. And if the guys that are fighting for a first place in this team cannot go out and beat Charlton Athletic in the quarterfinal of the cup, then we have a serious, serious issue. What worries me most, Sean, in relation to what you were just having to say in there, what worries me most is the drop-off from our actual first preferred 11 to what's coming in behind us. I think it yeah. might be. I don't think. Um, I know our Man United and I know our squad should be hypothetically brilliant, and in, in, in a in past years it was. I don't think we have that depth anymore. I've looked at our sub bench of a few games lately, and I've looked at it and gone, "Jesus, there's not much there. That's, there's not much to come off the bench and change a game." And these these are an important matches. League games need to be getting three points. I will agree so I with that. I don't disagree that we should have enough to beat Charlton Athletic, but not to demean Charlton Athletic by any means. We should be 100. We should be beating them we should be able to put out a, a lesser side. But a lot of those lesser players, which is probably insulting to them, but they're our backup or rotation squad, they're not very good. And they've proven that over time, they're not very good. They got us into the shithole that we're in at the moment. They've been replaced for a very good reason. It wouldn't be against the law of, of, of football and the romance of cup football especially to see us get turned over dramatically by a side who put out their best versus us putting out our B-side. I hope it wouldn't happen. I do expect them to play a slightly stronger team than most of us probably would expect us to play in a game like this. But if I've made a promise to myself this season that when I see the starting lineup, I don't react to it. Because it's something I used to do quite a bit. I, I Maybe not so much vocally or publicly, but to myself, I'd go, oh, Jesus Christ, look at the back four. And I'm panicking. And I spend the game panicking about it. 
I've made a conscious decision this season not to do it. So the first time I saw Luke Shaw play at left centre back, I might have taken a deep breath for a second, but I said, okay, everything Hag has shown me that he knows what he's doing so far. I know it's early in his tenure and he's not the Messiah yet, but give the guy a chance and let's back him and let's believe that he knows what he's doing. And it's proven that he has. Luke Shaw, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Luke Shaw has looked absolutely fantastic at centre-back for Manchester United Football Club. A player who, for a stage, I didn't believe should be anywhere near left-back of Manchester United Football Club. Mm. So if you can pull a rabbit out of a hat like that, when you've got actual centre-backs, including the club captain on the bench, the £80 million signing centre-half that should hypothetically be starting ahead of him, and Luke Shaw can put in performance like that, maybe Eric Tim Hag knows a little bit more than Brian knows about football. <laughs> if he announces a team tomorrow night with a midfield of Zidane Iqbal and Charlie Savage, as much as I'll probably clinch my fist and, and, and take a deep breath, I'll accept it. And I'm sure that he knows what he's doing. And I'm sure he'll get us over the line of what he's doing. Because if we don't believe he can, what's the point back of the guy? But I would prefer to see a slightly stronger team. It's the quarterfinal of a cup. We haven't won a, a trophy in a couple of years, five years now. We need, we as a fan base need something. We need a win with the out. We need a, a cup to lift. We need a bit of fucking buzz around the players. This is probably the best chance we have of it right now this minute. Although I threw a score on us to win the league last week at 50 to 1. It's, this is the one, you know, this is the one we've got to go for. The FA Cup is another great chance after a strong, a solid draw for us, some solid results going our way in that. We've got two great chances of winning cups. I'd like to see him go out tomorrow night and blow him off the park in the first half and then didn't bring on the players. The, the point I wanted to make about why I don't think he's going to play a weekend team is we're, we're only less, we're less than a year under Ten Hag. And if you remember under previous managers at this period when we weren't winning games, the excuse would come out that he still doesn't know his best team. He just still doesn't know his best 11. And we heard that excuse for all the managers, both Ferguson, before Ten Hag. With Ten Hag, it's still early days and he still learn a lot about these players and a lot of those fringe players I'm talking about. And I don't trust a lot of them. I don't trust a lot of them to come in tomorrow night, even against Charlton, and to get us that result, like the result we should on paper. I think we still need a few of those players that play week in, week out in that team tomorrow night. If you're going to play the likes of, as you mentioned, Sudan Iqbal and Charlie Savage, fine. Play Casemiro too. Play yeah, Casemiro too. And that's something, that's, it's, a, it's a luxury we haven't had for quite some time. Back when we were the successful, successful club we were in the pomp of our time, we could easily afford to weaken the team with a young kid coming in right wing or a, a young left back or something it didn't really affect the team as much as it would we don't have that luxury for the last decade because we haven't been a team that's been capable of carrying players we've needed 11 players to pull the finger out and get stuck in we've had the stature of player that we needed every single one of us to work or we were in trouble which we see for like clubs that are currently doing very well they can bring in a young centre midfielder and give them a couple of games because they've got the players beside them to carry them and behind them and in front of them to guide them and bring them along. They've got winners in the side. They've got a history of winning maybe a league or a Champions League. They've got that bit of confidence in the team. We don't have that. It's too it's too important for the stage we're at right now to make balls of this. We need to get get it over the line. Just look, do what we have to do. Get it over the line. Get a trophy in. Get get that statistic off our off our neck. Get a, get a bit of silverware, get a bit of confidence into the side. And maybe, yeah, next season, 100%, if things go well this season, we win one or two cups or we 
do well in the league or the Europa League. Next season, when we're back a bit better than we are, then you can afford to maybe take a little bit more risk and a bit more chances that way. But I think Ting had Ting had Ten Hag is pragmatic enough to know he needs he needs this. He needs it for himself. He needs it to justify his methods and his system, and he needs to prove that what he's talking will work. He needs to keep these good vibes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah, well, we don't have long to wait until we see what sort of a lineup we're going to have. I would be expecting somewhat of a rotated side because say what you will about the players and not contradicting what you guys are saying. We're playing against a side that are 12th in League One. And while I'm not diminishing what they are capable of, if the likes of Harry Maguire, Victor Lindelof, Armand Basaka cannot come in and do a job, we might as well throw our hat at it. Now, a couple of questions to get through before we finish off. Dave Kluver has sent through one saying, obviously, he's curious about who's in and who's out this month. And he's asking, is Wag Bratwurst a good interim? Will Harry go to the villains? Dale? No, I don't think Maguire will leave this summer or this, this January. I think he will leave in the summer, though. Don't think it'll happen at the moment. There was there's a story, just to give some context on this question. There was a story during the rounds again from the cease pit of social media of Harry, a quick picture of the rounds of Harry Maguire having a drink um, with, I think, his agent and someone near Villa's training ground. And then on Twitter, it was, you know, two plus two equals five, um, jumping to conclusions and suggesting that he was on his way to Aston Villa. United laughed at the report, which came from a talk sport journalist. Although he took talk sport out of his Twitter bio afterwards, I'd imagine talk sport ran to him saying, ee Get that out. Um, don't think that's going to happen. What's the second one you asked about? He's asking, is Wag Bratwurst a good interim? <laughs> so I'm assuming he's making reference to Mr. Wout that we were speaking about earlier on. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know um, Brian, someone pissed on his cornflakes this morning, but I'm all for the, the Wout party. I'm all for Weggy. Throw it into um, the mixer. No, Brian, I'm, just bit, one. I'm just a bit more reserved there. I'm, I'm just not jumping the bandwagon. I'm, no, not, the, totally the is, I'm just a bit more reserved. No, but the thing is, I'm usually reserved. I never get excited about about transfers. Like it, it, it's it doesn't doesn't really excite me. But this is just the profile we need. I'm not saying yeah. he's going to bang 15, 20 goals. If he scored seven or eight, I think I'd be happy. But I think his all around contribution is going to benefit others. And you're going to be in your words and you're going to be bowing at your knees at me. I hope I am. And many times in my life, I have made sweeping statements about footballers that have come back to Mike Tyson, uppercut me into the jaw and make me look like a complete pleb. I will never forget and never forgive Adnan Yenazai for making me believe I'll go to my grave believing he was going to be the next George Best. He killed me. But you spent right. the last two weeks off air telling me Alvaro Morata was the answer to all our problems. I spent twelve months no, debate. I spent twelve months arguing with one of my good friends who's a Chelsea fan, who was shitter, Lukaku or Morata, and we could not decide for twelve months. Don't tell sure. me we no, we can't be going back to that. Wout Veghorst is nothing more than a stopgap. Is he exciting? No. Can, can I can I just say add to that that I'm Van Morata. I think he would be a good good player for United, but Veghorst a hundred percent more. I'm all, on, I'm all on that party. I'm all on that boat at the moment. Now, we have a bonus question here from Dave, and it is in relation to an iconic picture of the Beatles, one that sees John Lennon sprawled out in a deck with a bare-chested Paul McCartney standing behind him in pink trousers. George looks bored. Ringo looks cold. Dave wants to know if the Beatles were ahead of their time in defending a modern-day free kick, Brian. Have you got this picture in front of you, Brian? I've seen it, yeah. 
Yeah, um, it's a pretty it's a pretty iconic Beatles photo. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'd like to com- to commend Dave on the creativity of his question. I'd also question I'd also question his mindset in how in the name of Christ he came up with this question. That he went back to a photo of this, but in answer to it, uh, yes, Dave, I'm fairly sure that Ringo was definitely considering James Ward-Prowse bending one into top pins when he was lying on the floor or standing behind whoever he's standing behind. Um, yeah, it's groundbreaking, and we're definitely after uh, cracking open a can here of worms that maybe the foot, the, 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 the musical world has led to the footballing tactics. And last but not least here, we have Marcus coming in with a question asking what our opinions are on the forward options that were being linked to the aforementioned Vegors and the long shot and Joe Felix. We've touched upon it enough now to write a book on it. But I suppose in, 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 in no more than five or six words each, Dale, Veghorst. Um, Super, super waggy, throw it in the mixer. Brian, Veghorst. Two goals for Burnley. My ass is terrified. <laughs> and what about Felix, Dale? Wrong player. United weren't interested, and rightly so. And Brian? I prefer Felix the cat. <laughs> and on that particular bombshell, we should call it a day. Hold on, you're not getting off the hook. <laughs> yeah, what's your, what's your, give us your little uh, six words, Sean, please. I think... Mr. Veghorst is a perfect stopgap. And in terms of Joe Felix, not the glamour we require. Perfect. So as always, anybody wanting to get in touch with us, you can catch me on Twitter with the tagline at SeanConnolly85. Brian, how can your audience get in touch with you? I prefer to don't, but if they do have to, at the tripping red. And Dale, the man, the myth, the mystery, let him have it. You can follow us at Strati News and please do if you think that Weg Horse is going to be a new one person. Weg Horse on fire. Your defense is terrified. Two goals for Burnley. I'm absolutely terrified. Throw it in the mixer. <laughs>